0: Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for
1: joining me today, wherever you might be, in your car, elsewhere on your mobile device, listening with family or some friends, or simply catching the podcast. Well, friends, the Advent Christmas season is fully upon us. Perhaps you're a newbie to the concept of Advent. I had the privilege of growing up in a mainline denomination that celebrated the annual cycle of the Christian year. One one of my favorite times of the year being the Christmas season. Well, traditionally, the four weeks leading up to Christmas Day are referred to as Advent. Our English word comes from the Latin Adventus and originally stood for the arrival or coming of a notable person, thing, or event. For Christians, four common focuses in these weekly expressions have been hope, Peace, love, and joy. But they're not limited to these particular themes. Others have been suggested and used. Well, in this year's series, Christmas, something new was brewing on planet Earth. Our second installment is called... First Contact, and we'll be profiling Zechariah's and Mary's responses to a special announcement that came to them, recorded in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And friends, as sort of a preamble to our teaching today, let's realize that God didn't come to simply visit us in the person of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ, if you will, but he came to bring something. Recall Jesus' own words in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And his words in John 10.10. 10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. A text that has been brutalized by many in the church today. Life, eternal life. Not just life that has duration, but a life that has dimension, a life that not only possesses salvation for our souls, in other words, salvation from our sins, but life that provides the spiritual satisfaction now, the satisfying of our spiritual hunger and the quenching of our spiritual thirst. Well, friends, we're introduced to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, which gives us both the political and religious setting for what is about to take place. Zechariah was on duty and serving as a priest before God, and by lot was chosen to go into the temple and burn incense. Well, Luke's account goes on to inform us that when the burning of the incense came, the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born." He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am a man old, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak. They realized he had seen a vision, for he kept making signs. When his service was completed, he returned home. His wife Elizabeth became pregnant and remained in seclusion for five months. She said, The Lord has done this for me. He has shown his favor in these days and has taken away my disgrace among the people. For now, Luke ends this portion of Zechariah's and Elizabeth's story, and he picks up the story in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, informing us that the angel Gabriel was again dispatched, but this time to Nazareth, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And we all know, right friends, who this virgin is. Luke continues by informing us that The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel said to her, Greetings, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this was. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who couldn't conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. So Mary answered Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Friends, finally, after 400 or so years of divine silence, the anxiously awaiting and wondering Jewish people are handed a new script. They had been sustained only by the glimmer of hope that a Messiah was predicted long ago, some 700 years, through prophets like Isaiah and Micah, Now, something new was brewing on planet Earth. Last time I proposed to you that the first Christmas signaled a season of newness in God's redemptive plan that brought salvation to fallen humanity. Today and next time I'm going to compare and contrast some of the responses of the actors and actresses who have stepped onto the stage of the great and wonderful drama, we've come to know as the Christmas story. The sequence laid out in scripture suggests that when the curtain opens, act one begins with Zechariah in the temple performing his customary duty of burning incense in the presence of God. As we saw today through Luke's eyes, Zechariah is the first recipient of the angel's prophetic announcement. And friends, six months later, Mary, Joseph's fiance, so to speak, became the second recipient of Gabriel's prophetic announcement. A profound announcement that she will be the mother of the Son of God Yeshua we know him as Jesus who is to be the long-awaited. Messiah. Now what I find most illuminating about Luke chapter 1 is that when we put Zechariah's encounter side by side with Mary's encounter, an interesting pattern unfolds. And in this act of the Christmas drama, we discover lessons that extend way beyond the immediacy of the Christmas drama. Lessons we can apply to our lives in the here and now 2,000 years after the first Christmas. Remember, friends, God was inaugurating a new order in the world. Old things were really about to pass away, and something new had really come. Zechariah and Elizabeth were among the very first to be impacted by this season of newness. You see, friends, their priestly descent made them prime examples of the best of the old order. Their prime years of service to God occurred under the Old Testament law. But something new was brewing on planet Earth, and Zechariah's and Mary's season of newness opens Act 1 of the Christmas drama with their responses to the angelic visitations and announcements. Now, friends, imagine with me for a moment a piece of standard stationary paper divided in half and Zechariah's stats on the left and Mary's stats on the right. The first thing I want us to notice is the contrast or difference in age. Zechariah is old and a seasoned religious man, a priest, in fact, with ministry duties that placed him in the public eye. He was likely spiritually mature in the scriptures. On the other hand, we have Mary, a poor, common young girl, might be as young as 12 years old. She is spiritually young and likely young in the scriptures. But we know that she has to be somewhat learned in her Hebrew scriptures since in Luke 1, 46 through 53, her song, sometimes referred to as the Magnificat, contains allusions to over 25 scripture references from Habakkuk, the Psalms, the Prophets, Proverbs, portions of the Torah, and the Prophets, I'd like to recommend that a wonderfully illuminating exercise would be comparing Mary's song in Luke 1, 46-53, to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, 1-10, noting the similarities. Well, friends, a second contrast between Zechariah and Mary is how they were each chosen for their mission. In Luke 1.8 and 9, Zechariah was chosen by lot according to the Old Testament system or law. But in Luke 1.30, it's clear that Mary was chosen by grace. The angel told Mary that she had found favor with God. Favor has at its root grace. A third contrast between Zechariah and Mary that I want us to notice is that Zechariah did not believe his announcement. How do we know this? We know this by the angel's judgment on Zechariah, which included these words, "'You will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words.'" On the other hand, the angel's response to Mary shows us that all Mary needed was more information. Mary's question to the angel represented the innocent inquiry of a young, inexperienced, God-fearing girl. And Mary's recorded final response makes it clear she believed the news the angel brought her. In Luke 1.38, she says, "'I am the Lord's servant.'" may your word to me be fulfilled and just a quick addition here the angel blesses mary and judges zechariah i propose to you that the angel's judgment pronounced upon zechariah wasn't a harsh treatment Think of the spiritual age difference aside from the natural age difference. Zechariah was a mature man, schooled in his priestly duties and in the ministry of priestly service. For some time, his knowledge of scripture should have given him a foundation of faith to believe the angel's words. Plus, consider the difference in the fear each had. Zechariah's fear gripped him, the text says, whereas Mary was simply troubled and her fear was more rooted in wonder, and the angel supplied the answer to her wonder by telling her she had found favor with God. You see, friends, at first glance we might conclude that Zechariah's expression of doubt and Mary's question arise from the same root reaction, but nothing could be further from the truth. Upon closer inspection, their questioning is different in both meaning and spirit. Zechariah's response reveals the lack of faith on the part of a seasoned spiritual leader, whereas Mary's response represents the inquisitiveness of innocence, in other words, childlike faith. Recall Jesus' own words in Matthew 18, "...unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, excuse me, Zechariah asked for a sign, proof, evidence for what the angel predicted. But Mary, out of genuine curiosity and inquisitiveness, sought to know by what means the angel's prediction was going to be fulfilled And another important distinction, friends, is found in the miracle that was prophesied. In Zechariah's case, the miracle was one of quickening or enabling a natural process for two people past the age of producing a child. But in Mary's case, the miracle was one which has continued to stagger the imagination of the greatest thinkers and theologians throughout church history of virgin birth through the agency of the Holy Spirit. This is the great mystery of the divine incarnation, God taking on human flesh. Well, friends, a fourth contrast between Zechariah and Mary is the final outcome of their encounter. Zechariah was disciplined and silenced by the angel and lost his freedom to speak and praise the Lord for his gracious provision of a child for elizabeth whereas mary was blessed by the angel and was therefore free to vocalize her acceptance and praise for the lord's miracle in her by composing and singing the song recorded in luke one forty six through fifty five So, friends, here's another lesson wrapped up in this Christmas drama for us to weigh in on. Saying yes to God involves sacrifice. Mary endured the doubts of her fiancé and the scorn of neighbors who saw her pregnant before marriage. Saying yes meant bearing the pain of childbirth. It meant later fleeing to a far-off country, Egypt, to protect her baby from Herod's executioners. It meant raising a child she did not completely understand. Remember the time she had to come and take charge of Jesus, thinking he was out of his mind? (laughs) But hardest of all, it meant watching your son be crucified on the cross. Our last glimpse of Mary, however, shows her among the disciples after the resurrection, praying for the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised. Mary began her relationship with baby Jesus by holding his tiny form in her arms. But in the end, she realized that she must let Jesus hold her. He was not only her child, He was her Lord. To that as well, Mary said yes. Well, friends, let's unwrap the spiritual application for us today. I mentioned earlier that in this stage of the Christmas drama, there are lessons for us that extend way beyond the immediacy of the first Christmas story. Lessons that we can apply in and to our lives in the here and now. Two thousand years later... You see, we sometimes have to shake sense into our own selves and realize that Zechariah and Mary were real people with real faith who wrestled with God's will and plan in their lives. They were both confronted with the demise of an old era and the beginning of a new era of revelation. They both had to come to the realization and accept that something new was brewing on planet earth, and God, through his messenger Gabriel, made first contact with them. Authors Philip Yancey and Tim Stafford, in their personal reflections on Zechariah and Mary, posed some good questions for us to think about. Think about a time in your life when an old era ended and something new began, perhaps a move, a marriage, a first child, an unexpected child, a new job, the loss of a job, or unplanned job change, a new experience with the Lord. What made or makes the change difficult? What made or makes the change joyful? How was God involved? If God brought a new experience in your life, would you respond like Zechariah or like Mary? Ultimately, friends, all these questions fit neatly under an umbrella question. How would I respond to God's call to be a part of his plan? What if something new arrived on your doorstep, coming from God, announcing a new course of action on your part, a change that maybe you haven't been anticipating, a change that takes you totally by surprise? Well, friends, one of the great aspects of the Advent season is reenacting the anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah. These weeks of preparation actually serve to cultivate in us a sense of anticipating new things from God and not getting stuck in always doing the same thing in the same way. Hey, remember the definition of insanity? Insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? Or how about the famous saying by Mark Twain, I love this one, The only person who likes change is a wet baby. Well, perhaps a fitting prayer for this season might be, Lord, may the people walking in darkness see the light of Christ in us this season. May they come to realize that the baby Jesus is also the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In the ancient city of David there was born for us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Grant us the courage to share this good news that you made personal contact with us and brought us something, salvation, forgiveness, and new life. The old has passed away. A new life has come. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, friends, I can see we're nearing the end of our program and today's installment of something new is brewing on planet Earth, our Advent Christmas series. Friends, let's not allow the commercialism and merchandising suck us into the world's way of celebrating Christmas. These preparatory weeks before Christmas Day actually help provide a key to recapturing the true meaning of Christmas in our individual, family, and even church lives. And we can proactively prevent the holiday's spiritual reality from being torn away from us. As the Jewish people in the first century were anticipating, expecting, and longing for the coming of their promised Messiah... Let us develop a personal, family, and or corporate sense of anticipation and expectation ourselves and endeavor to build this into our preparation for celebrating Christmas. Today's broadcast will be closing out with an email where you may write me and share your feedback. I'd love to hear how these programs are blessing you or enlightening you. Remember, all program podcasts are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. And now, A Word from the Word is available on Spotify Podcast and Apple Podcast. Friends, please consider becoming a financial partner and support team member of A Word from the Word in the coming new year. I'd be grateful. It's listeners like you that help keep this program on the air. Just ask me for the details. Thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the Word.
0: Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the Word at minister.com. That's a word from the Word at minister.com.